Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. All right, good morning, good morning. Good to have everybody here today. Thank you for coming. We are in Proverbs chapter 8 is where we're going to teach today. You'll remember that we talked last week about about chapter 7, and so we are cruising through. I think this is the 11th or 12th week, and uh, it's working really, really well. So praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for this time. We just bless you, Lord, for all that you do. We thank you, Lord, that you make your word clear to us. We thank you also, Father, that as we look at things that at some point seem almost familiar to us to the place that we can say, oh yeah, I already know that, that Father, you, you take that, that wisdom that you have, that revelation that you have, and you just spark a, a new interest in things that we thought we understood. And so we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Proverbs chapter 8, this marks uh, the beginning of some changes. Uh, up to this point, you know, wisdom has, has basically been father to son. It's still going to be that. But some of the talking points are going to change. And I'll try and point them out to you so you can see the change in focus. Um, we had a lot of focus in the first seven chapters. It, it basically ended up to be careful with your sexual immorality. I mean, that's, that's basically where it ended up in almost everything. And, and so we talked last week at, at some length about the idea in chapter 7, verse 1, that, that wisdom needs to be treasured. And, and it really is something that, that you hide almost as a protective measure, something that you, that you hold closely and so forth. And then we also talked a little bit about how wisdom is defined throughout the book of Proverbs as the, the ability or, or the, 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 I don't know, I can't think of a better word than ability, to regulate your thoughts. So wisdom can regulate your thought process, right? It, it's not always wise to think outside of God's parameters because what it'll help you do is come up with ways that make you think you can get away with stuff you shouldn't do. So when you think outside of God's parameters, it's kind of a difficult thing. So it'll regulate your thoughts. It'll regulate your words. Wisdom will keep you from saying everything you know. Knowing the truth is not the issue. Thinking you have to tell everybody the truth right now is an issue because not everybody is willing to listen. Not everybody is prepared to receive your great opinion and uh, Tracy and I were listening either when we were driving or at some point, and whoever we were listening to, he said, you know, there's a difference between opinion and anointing, right? Opinion is what you have, anointing is what, has, what God has. And sometimes our opinions are so pointed, and we then justify them or, or hold them with a level of biblical truth. We say, see, and we put our finger on a, on a, a, a part of the Bible, but, but oftentimes we never ask God, for the permission to talk about it. For the permission to talk about it. If you are in an intimate relationship, you oftentimes go to that person and say to them, I, hey, I'd like to talk about. And then you lay out the potential conversation that might happen. What you're looking for is an agreement to run down that road and deal with those things. You ask for permission. It's the same way spiritually. If you've ever had a prophetic anointing, <clears throat> if, 
If God begins to teach you about that, you'll learn that God will put you in a position where you hear things and then require you to ask permission to share them. If you go blow somebody out of the water, they're going to feel attacked, not blessed. And so that's what this thing, it regulates words and it has the ability to regulate your actions. It is not wise in your Christianity to be a know-it-all. It's not wise. There's a difference between learning it all and knowing it all. Right? And so we're in the process of learning it all. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, you need no one to teach you, howbeit the Spirit that's in you teaches you all things and is not a lie. It already says you know all things because it lives inside of you. Right? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Jesus lives inside of you. You know all things. The Bible says that. That doesn't mean you've got to tell everybody everything. See, and that's what wisdom does. It regulates those things, and it regulates them according to God's direction and intent. Now, <clears throat> you may think you know God's intent for somebody's life. You may even think you know God's intent for your children's life. But I will tell you that no one came to me in my formative years and said, hey, and I was in a church. I was a leading young person in the church. I was voted onto the, what, what the Presbyterian church calls a session. I was voted onto the elder board to help govern the Presbyterian church at 16 years old. And I'm thinking, why do these old people want me? Well, they had a great idea. They were trying to train people into a position of leadership. It was great. But I didn't know sick him from sideways, and not one single spiritual person came up to me from age zero to age 1979, age 20. I was 21, 20 or 21 years old, maybe a little bit older than that, before somebody, and it was, a, it was the craziest circumstance. The people that serviced the cigarette machine in our restaurant were charismatic Pentecostal Christians. Well, we'd start going to church, and we're pretty sure that if you do cigarettes, smoke cigarettes, sell cigarettes, drink beer, chase women, chew tobacco, or, or even dance in some cases, and in some cases if you play with playing cards, you've punched your ticket for hell. And so I'm having trouble, and, and this guy, he's you know, poking the cigarettes in there, and, and, and I went out there to, to, to talk with him because... It's his machine, but we get a percentage of that. And if somebody loses their money in the cigarette machine, they come to the cash register and say, hey, your machine ate my money. And so I give them their money back, put a little note in the cash register. So when that guy shows up, I take all my notes out there. You owe me. Take that out first. Because there was no cigarettes attached to this money. Give it to me. It was all mine. So I'm out there, and we're, you know, negotiating back and forth. And he looks up at me, and he says, has anybody ever told you you were called to ministry? Well, uh, uh, no. Nobody ever has. And from that moment forward, it seems like every time we went somewhere, the pastor would call Tracy and I. We even got to where we would go late to churches, try and hide in the back. And the pastor would stop the service and say, hey, you two young people back there. Has God ever told you? And I went, okay. <laughs> it bega wisdom began 
to be important to me because I couldn't live the same way and do what God asked me to do. Wisdom, right? Wisdom adjusts your behavior. You say, no, it doesn't. I know a lot of Christians who don't behave well. They just override the wisdom. Amen. Come on, how many, have you, have, how many of you have ever been in a good restaurant, been full, and taken another bite? Oh, pastor, that's a small thing. Okay, whatever you say. You know, I'm just here to tell you that wisdom wants to help you regulate your actions. So here we are in chapters eight, chapter 8 of Proverbs, and it says wisdom... Does not wisdom cry out? Does not wisdom cry out? Here's the thing you have to realize about what God's doing. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 4, you can just write it down, go look it up later. says that man shall not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verb tense in that particular verse is a present perfect tense. And if I understand the, the stuff right, it means he's speaking now. He will continue to speak and in the future he'll still be speaking. Okay, so man shall not live by, by bread alone, but rather by every word that proceeds, and the word proceeds there is that verb tense that says today, tomorrow, and the next day. He'll never stop. And, and so he's saying, listen, does not wisdom cry out? The first thing you have to recognize about studying the book of wisdom is that God continues after writing this to speak wisdom daily, every day to you. Does, you got to answer the question, does not wisdom cry out? See, if it doesn't, then you can say, nope, it doesn't. But if you say, nope, it doesn't, it's because you haven't allowed the first part of the wisdom that God wanted to give you to take effect in you so it's not controlled how you think. You think you can live your life separate from God Monday through Saturday and on Sunday morning put on your best tie, which I'm wearing today, my best tie, and act like nothing ever goes wrong in your life and call it faith. But you see, that faith is actually... a a level of deception that you willingly enter into because on Monday you stopped listening to the wisdom of God. And Tuesday it didn't go any better. And Wednesday you tried your best, made it half a day, but then by evening time you were wallowing in the mud that, that the devil sent you. So you got to, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up, his vo- lift up her voice. Here's the point. Wisdom cries out, and the understanding of that, right, is what happens second. So wisdom says, don't do that, okay? Understanding says, don't do that. If you get caught, they're going to put you in jail. Kind of a thing, right? And, and what we do, me, me together with you, is we rationalize how easy it is not to get caught. Who's going to say anything? If you overeat for lunch today, who's going to say anything? And your understanding is if you overeat at lunchtime by Thursday of the week, since you already broke the dam, you're going to sense that somebody shrunk your clothes when they were in the closet. See, there's an understanding that comes with that. Understanding cries out. I've spent time counseling people who had all kinds of issues and you can't believe how willing people are with issues to transplant the issue in the place of the things that they really love. 
Let me give you simple things. If you misappropriate your funds as one of the partners of your marriage, eventually the other partner is going to have an issue with that. And if you do it on the sly, whether you think you're just protecting or whatever, you will actually be lying to your partner. And I'll just tell you right now, that is not going to go well because understanding is going to yell at you. You knew this was coming. You knew this was coming. And what did you do? You ignored it. That's what the first verse says. She takes her stand on the top of a high hill. The point of this is that wisdom cries out above everything else. Most of us think that wisdom or the things of God is just this little peewee voice that kind of whispers to us. Well, it does kind of whisper to us, but it happens from the very highest point of your life. It's above everything else. It's not what we think is the secondary thought process or the third process where, oh yeah, I thought of this, I thought of this, and then God's wisdom came in. Nope. God's wisdom was on the highest hill in your life, yelling, crying. You pick the definition. Does not wisdom cry out? From the high... The reason that he uses and they use this kind of context is that people would get up on a hill to be heard over a wider range. This is just a natural thing that everybody would have understood, right? The reason that the platform is generally elevated in every church for the last 400 years is because before amplification, they actually built the churches so that the person could be heard being elevated, the sound doesn't get absorbed by all the soft stuff in front of it. And if you've ever been in an old traditional church, the pulpit oftentimes was elevated a whole story. On a, and on top of the pulpit area, there was this, this, this kind of tilted looking thing with these walls, with these, these hard surfaces that go out above the, uh, above the pastor's head. It's, they're just meant, they're, they're meant to be a speaker. It's meant to change the flow of the sound waves. They've known this for thousands of years. So when the writer said, um, yeah, she takes her stand on the top of a hill, his, his thing he's trying to get you to see is there's nothing higher than the voice of God in your life, and there's nothing sometimes easier to ignore than the voice of God in your life. Beside the way where the paths meet, where's the hill at? Where you're walking, beside the way, where your life is going. God has the highest perspective, highest viewpoint of where you are and what you're going through by your path in life. That's what the book of Proverbs says. She cries out by the gates at the entry point. Again, that, that's, to, that's to show you that at the very beginning of anything that you, that you have, uh, that you go through, there's always a gate that it goes through. Now, that's natural thought processes. If you were ever in a third world country, when you knock on a third world country door, generally speaking, if, unless the people are just entirely impoverished, you're actually knocking on what you would call a gate. 25 feet from their house, built with a wall around. And if they can't afford to put like barbed wire and, and, and metal sharp stuff up in there, they just break pop bottles and put it in the concrete on top of the wall. And then there'll be some big snarling dog in there. Why? Because the gate lets you in to the very innermost kind of sanctum of their family. 
They protect it at all costs. They don't let you in to come knock at the door because the door might not exist. There might not be glass in the windows, but they've got a $10,000 wall around their house. Oh, there we go. There's my, do you see that pulpit thing? So for hundreds of years, they, the old traditional churches with the real high ceilings, the, the pulpit was elevated and that little clamshell looking thing was over there. That's just to take the sound waves and push them out. Okay? If you look, I think it's first pres in, in, um, in uh, where was that? What's that guy's name? Um, I'll think of it and then I'll tell you, but I won't remember why I need to tell you that. So <laughs> anyway, there's a Presbyterian church in Florida that, that's like that. But the guy crawls up a, a set of two flights of stairs to get in that thing. And it's kind of in a corner. Why is it in a corner? Because the corner radiates the sound in the direction that you want. Right? We didn't, have, we didn't have stages in the center of the, of the room until we had amplification. Right? We did this. Ours is in a corner. Why? Because it funnels the sound towards you. That's what he's saying when he's on a high hill. Notice it says he cries out by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. That's what wisdom does. Now he's getting ready to tell you some things that might be different than what you've learned in the first seven chapters. So I need you to pay attention here when we get through the third verse. She cries out by the gates at the entrance of the doors. Now look at verse 4. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. She's going to, wisdom is going to give you a perspective. Now, I don't know how much of this to explain. The Equal Rights Amendment that said men and women are equal was the government telling us what God already knew. Okay? But God had an order of things. So in this particular time, they lived in a largely patriarchal society. Men were in charge. It wasn't that men were better, although that's the conclusion they drew. That wasn't what God was trying to show them. What he was trying to show them was there's a divine order to wisdom. There's a divine order to wisdom. We should jointly submit to each other with God at the top and the decision maker within a marital relationship should be the man, the priest of the home, not because the woman can't, but because God ordained an order. He calls men in Ephesians chapter 5 to jointly submit. This is not submit, woman. This is not that. And if you think it is, you're foolish. Because what God placed in your spouse, men, what God placed in your spouse is the very things that you're the weakest at. <laughs> the help you need the most lives in your wife. And before you wives get a, you know, buffed up head, the very thing that you don't have, God put in your husband. Can I just point out to you that to all of you gals, that the spider web of emotions that oftentimes controls your life doesn't exist in your man? He's got a box. He puts his stuff in a box. And he don't want you to play in the box. You need each other. Right? Because a man will say something like this. I made that child. I can send him on to Jesus and make another one. That makes perfect logical sense to men. The wife is going, um, excuse me, but I have an emotional tie to this. Right? Everything's tied together. That's why you can be having a conversation about a, about a simple, singular subject with your spouse. 
And she will turn that into a three-hour conversation about 23 things. Why are you looking at me that way? My wife's in the back row going, sorry. We even had this conversation yesterday. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring you into this. Tracy does not want to be noticed. Now, notice it's, it's spoken to this one, and it says, Oh, simple ones, understand prudence. Do you see it? Prudence is another word for the function of wisdom in how you act. It's not prudent to act that way, right? We don't talk that way anymore, but here's how it comes out in many of our parenting and, and, and all of that. What, 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 do you, what have you said to your child before? Maybe all of you. Act your age. Do you know that when you say that, your child has never been that age before? They don't know how that age acts. It's an experiment for them. By the way, for some of you who are 40, 50, 60, or my age, life is still an experiment. I've never been this old before. I don't know what it means to act my age. Prudence says I have the ability to separate what I'd like to do with what God wants me to do. Occasionally what I'd like to do is start the church. Because see, I have, a, a, I have an automatic alarm clock for whatever reason. So 5.30, quarter to 6, every day or earlier, I'm up. So I'd like to start church next week about 7.15. I'm ready to roll, 7.15. I don't care what you look like. I don't care, you know, come in your pajamas. It doesn't make any difference to me. I'm not looking at you anyway. And I preach for an audience of one. But let's do it at 7.15. That's what I'd like to do. Prudence suggests don't mess with people's schedule. One of the kisses of death in a church is when a church changes its service time. I'm just telling you, I, I deal with a lot of pastors and they say, well, pastor, we need to have a little bit more time. I said, oh man, pray about this. Do not switch. And then instead of just switching it big time, you know, you'll see churches. If you look around in our area, there are churches that start at like 15 minutes to 10 or 9.15. What are they doing? <laughs> They're moving the piano a quarter of an inch a week until they get it where they want it. You move, if you move the piano, you know, in old, right, in an old, in an old time church, right, there, was, there was a piano and organ. One was on each side of the deal. If you want to move the piano to get it over there by the organist so they can look at each other's hands and have a conversation, you just will move it a quarter of an inch a week until it ends up where you want or somebody's going to have a strong opinion. Prudence allows for you to find that place of wisdom in dealing with other people. So he said, hey, simple ones. Now, why does he call people simple? It, it, literally, it, it, it literally means naive. How many of you have ever thought that everyone would agree with your opinion? Like, this is just the right thing, right? Well, of course they would. How could They'd be stupid if they... That's naivete. <laughs> You're naive if you think everybody's going to... It, it's, it's the hazard of being a people pleaser because none of you all agree. The pastors can't be people pleasers because everybody in their church disagrees. In fact, no one of you, not a single one of you wants me to do everything. But every one of you wants me to do your thing. You'll call me up 
It's not a complaint. I'm merely telling you that prudence allows for wisdom to have an effect on how you process what other people are doing in your life. Prudence does that. Wisdom applies itself to that. Are you tracking with me? And you fools. (laughs) Okay. So wisdom, who is called to her, just got a really sharp tongue. And said, fools. Why? But look what she says. Look what wisdom says. You fools be of an understanding heart. There has to be a point in time where wisdom informs you on the inside that the very core of what you believe in a particular area is outside of God's understanding or literally foolish. I was in a car dealership this week and I asked the guy, I said, how many of them electric cars are you selling? He says, not very many. I said, why do you suppose that is? He says, because our area is funded by oil and gas. And no one wants to buy an electric car. I mean, they're really expensive, right? They're, they, you know, they'll go about 200 miles so you, you can maybe you know, get to Denver, but you can't get home um, and, and <laughs> without staying for a while. And he, he said, these, these people can't drive up in their electric car to the people they're doing business with who are paying them millions of dollars a year to help them with gas and oil. There's some prudence here. I said, well, how many of them you got? He says, see that one right out there? I said, yep. He says, that's it. There's a huge dealership with one. I wasn't looking for electric cars. I was looking for something to do. Okay. (laughs) By the way, if you ever need something to do and you like cars, find the nearest Mercedes-Benz dealership. Okay. They don't sell a lot of cars there. So there's a salesman in there that is willing to sit with you and talk. And they got $100,000 cars that I can't get in and I need help getting out of, okay? Because they're, they're this high off the ground. The point, the point is that prudence, in, everybody sees prudence in a business manner, right? We, we hear commercials and, and, and see people talking about electric cars and we look at each other out here and go, well, I can't even get to Greeley and back with an electric car. What, what, what good does that do? Yeah, and so what, what happens is that it's prudent in some areas, evidently. If you live in the city and can drive home every night and plug your car in like a washing machine, when you get up the next morning, the battery will be ready to roll. Nothing wrong with this. See, see don't go, well, they shouldn't be doing that. Who cares what they do? My, my economy is not governed by what the world does. See, prudence allows me to see that in the right, in the right context and to see it in business, right? If you, if you are still in the blockbuster video business, prudence might have bit you. If you owned a Sears store and thought that that Amazon thing, that guy selling used books out of his garage wasn't going to hurt you, well, welcome to reality, right? Right now, nobody's there. Sears is largely gone. Maybe he is gone. I don't know. You know, if you were a Kmart guy, you, you, you missed that, 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 that redneck in Arkansas named Sam Walton, whose business plan was to get a Walmart store within 10 miles of everybody in the country. And today, there's a Walmart store within 10 miles of 90-some percent of America. Just not you. 
you're in the 10%. You say, well, why don't they do that? Because prudence has caused them to figure out how many cars have to drive by their parking lot. And so they'll go out there and set up a little deal and count cars for six months. And then there'll be an old sticker-filled field, and all of a sudden, they'll build a $100,000 square foot warehouse in there out of prudence. You say, well, see, that's oh foolish ones. He says, look at verse number five again. He says, oh, you simple ones, you naive ones, understand prudence, and you fools be of an understanding heart. It will do you no good to rail against the prudence of the world because of where you live. Sorry. You say, well, they shouldn't. Ma- it's just not going to happen. So instead of living your life in a complaining nature about things you have no control over, be prudent. That makes sense? You didn't know that was in Proverbs. Verse number six, listen, for I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. How many of you have ever got caught in your own thinking that you're right? And being right became the supreme importance in your life. You understand that if you're right in whatever aspect of life, somebody has to be wrong. Go ahead, put that in your marriage for just a second. Be the winner. Be right. You've just proven that your spouse is a loser. And here's the great thing. You actually enjoyed it. We enjoy being right. Well, amen anyway. He says from the old man, I'll give you right. For my mouth will speak truth, wickedness is an abomination to my lips. What did he just say? He said wisdom speaks correctly from that wisdom, right? Speaks the truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Can I point out to you that pointing out to someone else their sin as if God can't possibly save them through Jesus Christ is an abomination to the gospel of grace? Who is beyond the grace of God? Somebody with the wrong kind of tattoos? Somebody with the wrong kind of appetites? How about somebody who was born one way and wants to live another? I'll get close enough to you. I'm not saying that that's correct. What I'm saying is it's an abomination to let wickedness come out and say, unless you change, you can't be on our team. I'm not suggesting that they won't change. I'm saying you need to be on the right side of this argument. God accepts people because of who he created them to be, not who they think they are. So whether they got 27 bathrooms and can't figure out which one to use. I mean, come on. Why do we, why do we speak evilly? In an evil way towards the, and I'm not talking about to their face. I'm talking about what happens around our dinner tables. You say, well, what are we going to do about it? What do you think you can do about it? Because here's where wisdom will break through. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And I can tell by the tone of your voice that what you're going to do is not going to line up with what God wants to do. 
Remember when John and, and, and Peter and whoever they were walking and somebody didn't accept Jesus and, and they in all kinds of, of great spiritual power looked at Jesus and says, you want us to call fire down on them? That's us. Want me to crispy critter a few of them? What happens? That's not wisdom. That's not even prudence. What if you had the power to crispy critter somebody and you crispied them up on the day before that Jesus was going to change their life? You now condemn them to hell by your comfort measure. <laughs> I know some of you are going, I should have slept in this morning. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. All the words, you see it? All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. What? How many of you understand you can't talk? James says that sweet water and bitter water are not to come out of the same spigot. You can't talk both ways. One of those ways betrays how your heart believes. Now, again, don't go out of here and say, well, Pastor Glenn turned over a new leaf. He must, he must really like all them cross-dressing, confused sexual people and all that. I'll tell you what. You'd be right in that I love them because God says we need to. I still don't understand. I don't understand how a six-foot-five-inch man with an Adam's apple that sticks out three inches thinks he's a woman. And I don't care what kind of surgery they give him. I'm going to love him in God. Her, them, she, him, them, it. I don't even care what... You understand when somebody gives you their pronouns? You don't talk that way. When I go up to Lola, how do I address her as... I'm assuming your pronouns of choice are she and her. How do I talk to her? To her, not to you. How do I talk to her using those pronouns? What does she think? Lola, what do you think? You see what I'm saying? This is just a stunt. Can I just make a, a, a prophetic observation? There's a whole lot of bluster about this right now. And people are being distracted from the cause of Christ by it. And I sincerely believe that you will see a downturn in the stuff you're exposed to because this stuff will wear off. You won't see as much of it in the television shows, all that kind of... See, right now, everybody's all nervous. And listen, when people get nervous, the world says, how do we stop that so you'll like us? My point is, how do I love you so you recognize God loves you? I don't care whether you like me or not. And you say, well... But don't you want to be liked by us? I do, but not at the expense of my relationship with God. Right? You say, well, what about your job? I don't have a job. I have a calling. A job I can walk away from any day I choose. A calling I have to walk into every single day. So I have to walk into it on Monday. Because if I caught you today in this class where I was preaching kind of hard and I caught you frowning at me and head down and all that kind of stuff. On Monday when I'm processing and praying over this service to see where we go next week, I don't want to, I don't want to say inside myself, well, that person's sure an idiot. See, as a pastor, I only get a pastor the people that God chooses to send here. 
So today, look around. You be it. Don't be, don't be hoping for somebody. Oh, well, somebody else needs to hear. I wish so-and-so was here. Won't work. You're the so-and-so. You're here. Amen? How did, <laughs> I didn't mean to call you a so-and-so. I should have called you a, he, a, a she or, or a her. By the way, I'm working on this in me. And so you just saw, I mean, I was actually making unloving light of the situation. That's not right. I'm still a work in progress. I'd like to know how to unceremoniously love somebody who doesn't agree with God's principles. I'd like to, and not to leave the deal, leave the conversation and, and have some sort of whimsical, <laughs> let's all laugh at them because they're confused. Our God is not a God of confusion. They're not confused because of God. I don't care how many times they say God made me this way. That doesn't make it true. The devil is a God of confusion. He's the God of this world. So go ahead and deal with that. And how do we love them that way? I'm not exactly sure, but the way we've been doing it hasn't worked. Right? We, have, we say to people, hey, please get cleaned up so you can join us. It's never going to work. And putting a sign out front that says sinners welcome? Are you kidding me? It should say, come join the sinners that are inside. Because there's some of us in here. Amen. <laughs> uh, verse 8, all the words of my mouth are with righteousness, nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Boy, isn't that a great position of wisdom? I'd love to be able to say with confidence that nothing crooked or perverse is in my mouth. But I've broken that teaching today in a church being live stream all over the country. Yay me. They are plain to him who understands. Notice they're not plain to everybody. They're plain to him who gets wisdom and it affects how they think. See, wisdom says you can give your money away and have enough. See, most of us have accepted that. Wisdom says you can come as a sinner and God's grace will change you. And your identity will be different. Wisdom says that. So whatever the problem is, it, it says here that, that in verse number 9, all, they are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Knowledge is the ability to integrate what wisdom tells you. Knowledge is the ability to integrate what wisdom tells you. So if wisdom tells you a particular way to live, knowledge, biblical truth, things you've been reading, the things you've been exposed to environmentally, will bring that into your life. It'll acclimate in your life. You say, well, that's pretty cool. Well, quit fighting it. Right? What happens is we say, no, I've never heard anybody say that to me. Tracy and I were sitting yesterday talking about something, and I know that what I'm going to teach today, many of you have never heard. You're going to have to take some new knowledge and use wisdom to acclimate it into your life. Because you need to live by this. Same as this stuff, right? Verse number 10, receive my instruction and not silver. It's literally talking about the order of importance of these things. And knowledge rather than choice, choice, choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared to her. You see in the 11th verse there, He's giving us a picture 
instructing from father to son. He's giving us a picture of how to value the things in our life. And he's used natural things. Now notice if you would please, in verse number 12, it says, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. If you have a King James Bible, it says, I wisdom dwell with, dwell with prudence and the knowledge of witty inventions. It's this idea that God will use wisdom to bring about the knowledge and the prudence to understand how it works. Okay? Who ever thought that putting together two things would make a better thing? Okay? You can pick anything you want. Pick two things. Together, they're better. Now, I happen to like a spoonful of jelly. Certain kinds I really like. But if you put that jelly with some peanut butter and smear it on a piece of bread, it's nirvana. Okay? Two things together. Who thought of that? Who thought of mixing? Who ate the first avocado? Who decided to cut that ugly thing open? And the texture of that thing, right? But if you'll dice up some onions and some tomatoes and throw a little salt and pepper and garlic in there, and then you'll dip a chip in it, life will be complete. The point is that when we put wisdom with the kind of prudence and say, wait a minute, what about this? Who would have thought 10 years ago that church people who are naturally suspicious folks would buy into an app on their phone that took their money? See, 20 years ago, credit cards, or 25, 35 years ago, credit cards were the mark of the devil. And now we put an app on our phone, give them our personal information and say, give money to these people for me. And we think that makes sense. Now, if you don't have gray hair, it makes perfect sense to you. But I'm pastoring this church and I still don't have that app on my phone. If you were to look at my phone, whatever's there, email, text, whatever, is what I still need to do. Because if I did it, I threw it away. Now, I learned from younger pastors as they saw me throwing stuff away. He said, why are you throwing that away? I said, because it's done. He says, you know, the people I counsel, when they throw stuff away on their phone, they're trying to hide something. Oh. So the Facebook Messenger page from your high school girlfriend probably wouldn't be cool if your wife found it. So you throw that sucker away. I didn't know that. My phone is clean because I'm obsessive compulsive, not because I have a girlfriend. I mean, a girlfriend other than my wife. My wife and I have the same security code. Why? Because it's easier to remember one. I got nothing to hide. I think Jeremy has access to my email. I don't care. I got nothing to hide. Look at it all you want. I don't care. So when I throw it away, it didn't disappear. It's just not on my phone anymore. You say, well, I might need it. No, you won't. If you get it done, throw it away. That's my advice to you, but I'm old. Okay? Amen. So in verses 13 and following, 
there are these rewards, and I don't have time to, to give them to you. We'll pick up the rewards of wisdom, because up to this point, we've only had little bits and pieces, but now we've got about 10 verses or more, uh, 20 verses of, of just rewards. So we'll talk about that next week. Amen? Did you learn something? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us by your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.